Well, I think the children will never forget that story, or at least the arrows being fired. They'll never forget that. I did hear through the grapevine that they were thinking of asking Pastor Terry to stand up front with an apple on his head. But uh, as they had no assistant pastor and didn't want to lose the existing pastor, we decided not to go that route. So I'm sure Sandy would have hit the apple, don't you think so, Evelyn? How's Byron doing? All right, so he's down, and we need to encourage him. So hopefully there's a message this morning that can encourage him. You can take something from Habakkuk to Byron today. Our study today is in the book of Habakkuk. Where on earth is the book of Habakkuk? It's one of the little, what we call, minor prophets uh, near the end of the Old Testament. I always have a tough time finding it, but it's five books from the end of the Old Testament, just after the book of Nahum, I think it is. And it's on page uh, 1456 in the Bible in the pew, 141456. Let's have a, a word of prayer as we get into God's Word. Gracious God, we thank You for all of the prophets who have spoken over the centuries. Some of them have been told to write down what You say to them, and we thank You that this has been written down. <clears throat> and though, Lord, um, in times of confusion, in times of difficulty, we may ask and wonder why, why it seems that You're so silent, why it seems that you don't answer our prayers, why it seems that evil seems to keep increasing. Lord, we know that you have a plan and you have a purpose, and at the appointed time, your will will be fulfilled on planet Earth. Help us to be among those that have faith in you and stand on your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk. And we have three chapters there. My main interest is right at the end of the book. So maybe I should read those, that Scripture to you, and then I'll give you a quick overview of the book, and we will spend most of our time, hopefully, if this works out according to God's plan in verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. So in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, picking it up in verse 16, it says this, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. 
He enables me to go on the heights. That is one of the most amazing texts in the whole Bible. Let me create the setting for you so you can see how amazing it is. We're approximately in the 7th century before Christ. There have been there has been apostasy in the people that God has taken out of Egypt. Eventually they divided into the tribes and and the and what we have now is Judah and Benjamin left. Israel had gone off into apostasy and been punished by the Assyrians. And the sins of Judah are looming large in the prophet's mind. And he knows that he should be seeing some action from God. Think of this terrible incident that just happened in Norway. Whether you were in the part of Norway where the car bomb went off and you were killed instantly or, or injured, or whether you were on the island where the young people were, and I'm not sure what the latest uh, total is, but we're talking uh, around 100 people altogether who have been, whose lives have just been quickly taken away. Norway, one of the safest countries in the world one of the most prosperous. I always think of secular Norway as I think of secular England, countries that don't seem to have much time for God. Uh, I wonder in this hour of crisis if anyone's mind will be turned to God. Think of all those parents who are going to go to the island to see if their child is even alive. Calamity disaster, as we just heard in our children's story, can strike at any moment. In this situation here, Habakkuk is going to say to God, Lord, when we see all of these sins within your people, within the nation of Judah, why don't you act? For example, if you go to chapter 1, verse 2, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? Here's a man whose prayers have been ascending over and over and over again, but nothing seems to change. Ever been in that kind of situation? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife. Conflict abounds. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This week I was at the Anderson City Council hearing two elderly ladies complain that they're surrounded by meth dealers, or at least people who are taking meths. That the, that the neighborhood is deteriorating. Well, as, as Christians, we look at the world and we say, well, really, that's no surprise. Yes, it's disappointing, but we expect sin to abound in the world, do we not? But do we expect that same thing in the church? Now we're in a time where our general conference president is calling for revival and reformation. 
This is what Habakkuk wanted. He wanted renewal. He wanted revival. His prayers went up over and over and over again. And nothing seemed to change. Has God got earplugs in so that he doesn't understand the seriousness of the situation? And as we, we very quickly uh, move on from this section here, maybe we should pause and ask ourselves, are we concerned about the sins within God's church? Are we concerned about the sins within our own lives? Or is it something we've just got accustomed to? There were gross sins going on in the nation of Judah. And Habakkuk is confused why nothing seems to change. Why God seems so passive. But is God passive? Does God ignore sin? Even the smallest sin, does God ignore that? Well, let's see what the text says. The Lord answers. This is answered prayer here. Look at the nations and watch, God says, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth, who seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar, and so on. Be careful what you pray for. Habakkuk's prayers went up continually. Lord, you need to discipline your people. You need to check the sin in the church. And God says, Habakkuk, I'm on the job. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it in a way that you would never even conceive of. Isn't that the way God is? The way His ways are not our ways. And I'm going to do it through these wicked, proud, arrogant people called the Babylonians. And some of you know a little bit about them from your studies in the book of Daniel. I believe there were three, three times that the Babylonians uh, attacked the, God's people. And of course, the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and so on fits in to that. Well, Habakkuk isn't finished. And this is one of the exciting things about this book, is this dialogue between God and His prophet. It should encourage us to try and understand the ways of God. Doesn't the Bible say, come, let us reason together? God is not deliberately trying to keep us in the dark. But He just knows that it's pretty hard to explain uh, physics to a five-year-old child. Well, maybe not to Stephen Hawking, but the average five-year-old child. If God tried to explain all his ways to us, we couldn't even begin to comprehend. But Habakkuk's not giving up. He has another complaint in verse 12. And here is essentially saying, Lord... The Babylonians' sins are worse than the nation of Judah. 
why would you send people more wicked to punish those who are more righteous? Oh Lord, you are not, are you not from everlasting, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. That is an exclamation of faith there. And I think we can see his faith growing in this book as we go through it. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? That's the Babylonians. Why do you use them? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? So now he's got an answer to his original question and he doesn't like it. You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead a little bit there. Uh, back to verse uh, 14. You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks and so on. And yet in chapter 2, I will stand at my watch. Again, a statement of faith station myself on the ramparts and I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his complaint. And again, the Lord replies, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove False. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. Let's just pause there. The answer to the prayer or the prayers of the prophet will come. The prophet says that we will not die, and he probably means the righteous when he says that. And we can see with Daniel and so on that, that they went. They did not perish. But God is saying there's a waiting period. And I don't know how it is in your prayer life. Most of us struggle to even hear the Lord. But when we hear the Lord, we do not always like what we hear. We have problems with what He tells us. And then He throws something else in, there's going to be a waiting period. It's been said that waiting is hard for most of us. When we want something, we want it now. A friend entered the study of Philip Brooks, the New England preacher, to find him pacing up and down like a caged lion. What's the trouble, he asked. The trouble is, Brooks said, that I'm in a hurry, and God is not. God has his own timetable. You can see within Seventh-day Adventism that we keep saying Jesus, or we used to say Jesus is coming soon. And there was an urgency about the early Adventist movement. There was a lot of self-sacrifice. There was a lot of disappointment, just like for Habakkuk. And there were answers from God, right? And there was also encouragement to preach again, 
keep the revelation going, but there was a waiting period as well. And there still is a waiting period. Jesus has not come, despite what some groups say. Jesus has not come yet. So maybe we don't use the word soon as enthusiastically as we used to in the early Adventist movement, but the promises haven't changed. God's plan has not changed. God's timetable has not changed. God will fulfill His promises. And you and I are encouraged in the next verse to wait patiently in faith. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 4. See, He is puffed up. What's that talking about? Probably talking about the Babylonian king. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will what? Will live by his faith. It's a phrase that you could easily just walk right by and not even notice. And yet, it is a key phrase in this book and in the whole Bible. Paul, the Apostle Paul, will come along many, many years later after Jesus Christ has, has come the first time. And he will interpret the Christ event in the context of verses like this. He'll take this brief phrase out of the book of Habakkuk and he will put his own spin on it, his own understanding of it, his own emphasis on it, and then we will have this beautiful teaching or concept called righteousness by faith. Now I believe that righteousness by faith is from Genesis to Revelation. And, and the wording may change, and the imagery may change, but God only ever has one way of saving people. And that is through them having faith and trust and confidence in His faithfulness. That's what faith is. Faith is not faith in faith. Faith um, is faith in the person of God, in the promises of God. This morning when we were talking about the sanctuary, those of you that, that were studying that, uh, somebody said in our class, it, the most important thing is the who of the sanctuary. The who, the person, God, dwelling. Yes, all the other uh, ark and mercy seat and, and many other art things are important, but the most important is God Himself. Well, so it is with faith. Faith only has value as it points to its object, which is God. So we never want to turn faith into works, which I've seen some Christians do, some Adventists do that, but faith in the faithful one. Faith in the one who has always acted faithfully and will act faithfully in the future. And when the tough times come, this is why this verse is going to be so important when we get to the end of the book, when the tough times come, it's going to be faith and trust in God Almighty that's going to see you through. Those that have that kind of faith will live. And even if their heads should be cut off like Paul, who spoke so much about this faith, they know 
He'll never leave them. He'll never forsake them. Everything is okay between the one who has trust and confidence in God. This uh, chapter 2 goes on to speak uh, as the Lord answers. We can't read all these verses. Um, In verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want to move on to chapter 3. It's where my main interest is. And there we have a prayer. So maybe in chapter 1, we had a burden on the part of the prophet. A burden for the sins within the camp. That God should act and do something about that. And in chapter 2, maybe there we had um, this promise of what God will do. And it all ends up in chapter 3, with prayer. I see Habakkuk's faith growing as you move through these verses. And it really stands out at the end of the chapter. But let's start at the beginning, chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiagonoth. Is that how you pronounce it? Shiagonoth? Not quite sure what that term means. Something, it's like a musical term. Maybe Habakkuk was a musician. And it looks like parts of this book, if not the whole of the book, were put to music. For those of you that are here this morning that are musical, uh, probably are going to be listening at this point to what I'm going to say. Um, The Psalms are the acts of God, the the theology of God, the ways of God put to music. And that's a great way to memorize things, right? So you'll find in in Jewish history, you'll find this emphasis on memorization. In fact, you can still find that in the Middle East with the the Arabs and and with the Jews. Lots, large portions of the Torah are committed to memory, probably what Jesus did too as a child. And, and with the Quran, the same thing, large portions, maybe the whole Quran put to memory. It's kind of hard to believe that people can do things like that. But if you're within a culture that cherishes these things, then often uh, these things will, will be put to memory. And a great way of doing that is to sing, sing them. Um, I mentioned earlier today that I once heard Mordecai Duchesne come to I think he came to our church twice when I was in Washington State. And I remember that he taught us some Jewish choruses. And one of them is a scriptural one. And the text is, um, the words of the text say something like, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Seek His face always. Hallelujah. Just something very, very simple like that. But when you heard him do it and then teach the congregation like in five minutes how to do it, that's something that stayed with me many, many, many years. So sometimes it'll just pop in my head and I'll just start singing, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, seek His face always, Hallelujah. Simple, but it's memorizing Scripture 
through music. It's probably what we have here, at least in this chapter. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. The Lord has said, I will send the Babylonians. It's not going to be a fun day. It's going to be a day of judgment. It's going to be a day of the Lord, a day of desolation, a day of destruction. There will be deliverance for those who have faith, the faithful, the remnant. There will be deliverance for them. As Habakkuk has already said, they shall not die. But he's saying here, renew them, and hey, throw some mercy in there, Lord. Throw some mercy in there. We talked about mercy when we talked about the sanctuary this morning, didn't we? As a preacher, I feel people listen better when I talk about forgiveness and mercy than they do when I talk about wrath and justice. The reality is, if you understand these concepts, it's all part of the heart of God. A loving God will not ignore sin. Hence, the need to deal with the sin problem. And if, if God's people are ever to get close to, to fulfilling His will, then there is always a refining discipline pro- process that goes on. So here in chapter 3, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, You'll make your ways known, your deeds known, and in wrath remember mercy. And then we have this long section from verse 3 to verse 15 where he talks about the acts, the deeds of God. Now I'm not going to read all these verses for the sake of time, but I do want you to understand the significance of them. He recreates some of the acts of God in the past. And of course, one of the greatest acts of God was when He brought His people out of Egypt. And that is spoken of in Scripture as obviously deliverance, but like salvation. That was freedom from sin. A way of deliverance. Even in the New Testament talks of them going through the the sea there as a baptism. Okay? So He recreates the historical acts of God. And many, God is even spoken of, Sandy, I told Larry this earlier, as an archer. Did you know that? He's spoken of in this chapter as a horseman and and a number of other things. But in verses 9 and 11, you uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, and verse 11, at the glint of your flying arrows. So God is an archer, and he's shooting his arrows taking his bow and shooting his arrows at whatever target he needs to do that. Okay. In the light of these, this, these mighty acts of God, whether we're talking of Sinai, the Exodus, or anything else he mentions in this book, how should we respond to those acts? Well, his response in verse 16 is... I heard, and my heart 
pounded. Ba-bum. Ba-bum. You ever been in a scary situation where you can hear your heart pounding? That's what we have here. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. And yours would too if you understood and saw and heard the mighty acts of God. And yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. That sounds like an oxymoron right there. Paradox right there. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That's the Babylonians. And here's the beautiful poetry here. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, can it get any worse than that? This is a day of destruction. As I was thinking about verse 17, when it seems that all, everything that you cherish is stripped away. Your houses are trashed. The things that they delight in, the olive crops, all of the produce they get from the, it's all gone. The Babylonians were one of the most cruel people on the face of the earth. They had learned from the Assyrians. Both the Assyrians and the Babylonians would like to make public examples of their enemies. And if I, if I spent a couple of minutes telling you about the terrible torture and warfare that they did, it would be like Larry showing those uh, photos of Sandy's arm. It would be pretty bad, pretty sad. And they would do that as a public statement not to cross them. You can see something similar going on in the Middle East now. As some of those Middle Eastern countries are fighting for democracy. And they will take people and they will torture them. And they will publicly execute them with virtually no trial. I was thinking about the situation that our nation's in at the moment with the economy. Though the debt ceiling is not raised. Although there are no federal checks to be mailed out, though the stock market crashes and Nasdaq is no more, though our houses are underwater and there are no jobs to be had, read verse 18 with me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. How on earth can anybody in their right mind, possibly respond that way. Because the one of faith should respond in that way. Because the man or the woman or the boy and girl of faith knows that within the destruction, God is at work. God is working His purposes out. His kingdom somehow, someway, is expanding. We expect God's kingdom to expand through us. 
Here in Habakkuk, we find that God's kingdom expands despite His people. He's given lots of opportunities for His people to get their act together with Him. And if they will not, then He will bring judgment on their sins and He will raise up a remnant, always raise up a remnant. You find this over and over and over again. No Seventh-day Adventist pastor believes and no Seventh-day Adventist parishioner should, un, should, should believe that all Seventh-day Adventists are going to be saved. You don't find that biblically and you do not find that in the writings of Ellen White. What you do find is that there's going to be judgment. There's going to be a shaking of the church. Judgment begins at the house of God. And, and a remnant will emerge who will be purer, more sincere about fulfilling the will of God. So when we pray for revival and reformation, sometimes we may not know what we're asking for. And yet, we know that it's going to be something that is going to advance God's cause. It's a great sign of mature faith to say when everything is crashing around me, I'm going to keep my eye on Him no matter what. Isn't this what we constantly find said in different ways in Scripture? In the book of Hebrews, these folks have lost their way. And the writer of the book is saying, keeping our eyes looking to Jesus, the author the finisher. That's how a person who is righteous by faith lives. That is how this prophet who has been dragging his feet in doubt now has a spring in his step. How could there be this transformation in just a few short chapters? Look at verse 19. 18 and 19, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. And as those, those deer, those animals climb these amazing, craggy mountain places, not only do they have such sure feet where you and I would be sliding and all over the, all over the place, but they spring. Some of them can actually spring with strength in their ankles. Boom! Onto the next ledge. I was reading something about fleas this week. It's amazing what I come across as I research these sermons. And they never understood how a flea can jump the way it jumps. So the experts have said, well, it's in, it's in the knees. But they've never had the photography to be able to slow it down enough so they really could figure it out until fairly recently. And now they see all of the power, the strength is in the ankles that allows that flea to boom, jump. And maybe it's the same with these deer. The important thing is for us this morning that we go from, from doubt to strong, strong, mature faith. That when it's all crashing around us, and we believe if we, if we talked about the time of trouble that's coming upon 
God's people and God's church. How can anything good come out of that? Yes, it can. It did, it did for the nation of Judah, and it will do for the Seventh-day Adventist church too. God will have a refined, purified people who will live by faith and confidence and trust in Him. Confidence and trust in His promises. We see Him acting faithfully in the past. Remember that statement of Ellen White? We have nothing to fear for the future except what? Except we forget our past history. We need to rehearse. That's what Habakkuk's doing. We need to rehearse the faithfulness of God throughout history, and then we apply it to our own situation. And if God has been faithful in the past, if the prophecies have been fulfilled in the past, if the promises have been fulfilled in the past, why not in the future? This is how faith becomes, goes from baby faith to becoming strong, mature faith. And then when the crisis comes, and let's face it, folks, there may be some of us living uh, right before the day of the Lord, but whether there is or whether there isn't, there will be a time of trouble in your life, for sure. What are you going to cling on to? What are you going to stay strong with? seems to me that if you're going to become like the deer who has sure, strong feet, strong ankles, it's going to be through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Rabbi Shammai in the 3rd century of the present era noted that Moses gave us 365 prohibitions and 248 positive commands in the law. David in Psalms 15 reduced them to 11. Isaiah 33, 14 through 15 made them 6. Micah 6, 8 binds them into 3. And yet Habakkuk 2, 4 reduces them to 1, namely the just shall live by faith. Or, those that have faith in His faithfulness shall live. You want to live a strong Christian life, vibrant life. You want to go from doubt to rejoicing. Isn't that what we see in this book? Then it comes by having faith in and trust, that's what we're talking about, faith and trust, confidence in God Almighty, and that brings assurance into your life. And that's the note that, that Habakkuk ends his book on, the assurance that God will come through for the faithless. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank, thank you for these so-called minor prophets like Habakkuk. Because tucked away in these little books are precious messages that can strengthen and fortify your people if we understand the principles. Lord, you encourage us in this book to dialogue with you, to talk to you, to listen to you. And sometimes, Lord, when we do that, we, we feel that the answer is very slow in coming. And yet it will come. Sometimes we need to be patient. Sometimes we hurry ahead of you. Forgive us for doing that. But Lord, through this process of trying to understand you and your ways, 
Help us to grow strong in faith. And to learn the lessons of this prophetic message. Lord, we pray for the Seventh-day Adventist church. That you will clean up each one of us within the camp. That you will have a remnant people who will march on victoriously. Give us, give us a view, not just of history, but of eternity. And help us to live our lives in the light of that vision. Because the vision is sure. And it will be fulfilled. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.